Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now that's confusing in the King James. Well, we're going to go back and talk about it a little bit, but let's go on. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. And Lord, we pray that you will take us this evening as your children and fill us with your spirit, help us to understand the words that you have given us that we might be more like you would have us be. Forgive us where we've been short-sighted and failed you in so many ways. Take us tonight and build us up that during this coming week we might be devout servants of yours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I know I said early on in the beginning of this series of sermons that you ought to get some other translation besides the King James. I think you ought to get a modern translation and sit down and read the entire book in one setting. And you're going to be surprised as to the continuity of this book and really what it says to us. It is jammed full of the Word of God like maybe no other book, even in the Scripture. It really will jump out at you and grab you. That's the reason I got started on this series. I sat down one evening with the Good News translation and read the book of Hebrews through. And I couldn't believe the things that I was beginning to discover that God was, was telling me in it. You ought to do it. Because you recognize that as I read from the King James, a lot of this is confusing. And it doesn't mean too much. And because it doesn't, we have a tendency to gloss over it and really don't get out of the scripture all that we ought. We have been prone to stay with the King James, and I love it, and I like to preach from it, and I know that I'll die with using the King James in the, in the pulpit as the primary book, uh, uh, translation to read from. But remember, it was written in 1611, I believe it was, 1600, as opposed to this is 1980s, that's over 380 years ago, and the language of that day has changed so much that it's difficult for us to comprehend it. And for us to completely stay with a language, 
age 380 years old without a desire to, to read in something else is, I think, a little short-sighted. So I would encourage you to get some other translation and, and do it, particularly in the book of Hebrews. Now, having said that, the title of the evening's message is Remaining a Baby. And I want us to look at that, but before we do, I can't help but go to verses 7 and 8 and talk about them a little bit. And do a little of my own translation, if you will allow me to do so, to explain the words that are contained herein. These are important verses, I think. In the days of his flesh, he starts out referring to the fact in the time that Jesus was on earth. This is the period of time that he's talking about in, in the life of Christ. Remember, Christ always was and he always will be. And so the writer of Hebrews is talking only about a 33-year period in the life of Jesus. In the days of his flesh, that is, his, the human side of Christ, when he offered, now notice what he did during this period of time. He offered up prayers and supplications. Well, who did he offer them to? Well, to God, of course. So when Jesus was on earth, he offered up prayers and supplications, but notice how he did it. With strong crying and tears. Strong crying. Loud praying. He put himself into it. Remember, we are talking about Jesus the human. For 33 years he lived as a human being. He suffered as we suffered. He was tempted as we were tempted. He went through all the things that we go through. And because of this human nature that he willingly assumed, he found it necessary to pray to God. How? Very strongly but not only with strong words, but with tears flowing from his eyes as he prayed. When's the last time you prayed and cried at the same time? I hope today, maybe last night, I don't know when. But it indicates a strong interest and concern on your part for what you're saying. And the word here indicates that Jesus, in his uh, carnal state, in his human state, was one that prayed and and pleaded with God, that's the word supplication, pleaded with God with a loud voice and with tears. To whom did he pray? To him that was able to save him from death. God was capable of keeping Jesus from dying. The one that was able to, but the one who did not keep him from dying. He was able to, but, but he did not. Okay. Unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard, Jesus was heard. God heard Jesus pray and was heard. Why? In that he feared. To put it another way, God heard Jesus because he humbly prayed. That's what that verse is saying. He humbly prayed. Then verse 8. And though he were a son, he was indeed the Son of God. But though he were the Son, notice, 
Yet learned he obedience by the thing which he suffered. Jesus learned in his human flesh to be obedient unto God by facing life's trials. All right, verse 10. And then it was only after all of this praying, all of this supplication, all of this learning to be obedient by the things which he suffered. I think you ought to mark that phrase. He learned to be obedient by the things which he suffered. I've got it highlighted with a pink highlighter. I think it's an important phrase. And being made, verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. Jesus had to be proved to be faithful to God before God would allow him to be the sufferer for our sins. Can you see that? God required Jesus to prove himself in the flesh that he would not yield to sin. God put pressure on Jesus while he was on this earth that you wouldn't believe to make Jesus verify that he was willing to suffer and still, be, still remain perfect. If you could rephrase the first part of verse 9, Jesus proved his perfection. Proved his perfection. And once he had proved his perfection, then and only then did he become the author of eternal salvation unto. To whom is he the author of salvation? To those who obey him. To those who obey him. Then after that, he was called the high priest in verse 10. He was called the high priest. God made him a high priest after he proved himself, after the order of Melchizedek. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Melchizedek. He is a very fleeting character in the scripture. Back in Genesis, we find him when uh, Abraham had uh, gone out to battle and, and Melchizedek, who was described in the book of Genesis as a priest, he was a king priest. He was the king of Salem, which was a town or a city, and he was a priest of God. God gave him the right to be both king and priest. You don't find that in Scripture, that, that, a, that the same person is the king of the nation and priest of the nation. You're the priest of the nation or you're the king of the nation. You're not both. Jesus is king and he is also high priest. The only person that I know of in the Scripture that, uh, that I can think of, at least offhand, that is Melchizedek who assumed the same position. He was king and he was priest. And it's after this order, which was different than all of the priests of the Old Testament, that Jesus was made high priest. He was born king of the Jews. He was made the high priest. So he is our king-priest combination. Alright. That's not a part of the sermon. That's just I thought some Bible teaching that we needed to hear a little bit about. In the, the book of Hebrews, so far in our study, we have come upon two warnings. The first warning was given back in the second chapter in the first four verses. The warning there was for Christian people to not neglect the gospel. 
we were warned to not neglect the gospel. In the third chapter, beginning in verse 7 through 19, we were warned to not harden our hearts. Now then, we come to the third warning that we find in the scripture that we read this evening, and that is we are warned about remaining spiritual babies. We are warned to grow, to become mature. And it's upon this subject that I, I, I really want to speak. One of the, great, the greatest of all tragedies in human life is to see a baby who never grows. And I've seen a lot of them. If you ever have an opportunity to do so, you need to go to St. Mary's to the Colin Anderson Center and take a tour through that institution. You will only want to do it one time and you'll never forget your experience as you see in that institution babies who never grew. And I've talked to you about them before. The reason I refer to that over and over again is because it made such a tremendous impact upon me. And I've been there time and time again. One of my responsibilities was to go through that institution and make sure that it was safe and sanitary for those kids. And I've been through there many times. And watched those nurses and, and aides take care of those non-growing babies as well as some others that, that had grown. But... There was a section for those who did not grow. But there's a greater tragedy. And that greater tragedy is people who began their spiritual life and never grow out of babyhood. That's the great tragedy in life. Verse 11. Look at it. The writer says, We have many things to say and hard to be said. The word uttered, you can use the word say. Why? Seeing that ye are dull of hearing. This is one of the problems that any public speaker has, whether he be a preacher or a politician. That any teacher no doubt has in a classroom, in a public school, or in Sunday school, is that after a while it seems like there's no use talking anymore because nobody's listening. Might just as well shut up and go home. Because ears have simply been turned off. Hands have been over the ears and nobody hears anymore. Why do we spin our wheels? Why do we talk? Why do we try to teach when nobody wants to listen? Dull means sluggish. There's no push, no energy, no excitement. And we in the church get to that place that we don't portray any excitement about what we believe. Nobody seems to be interested anymore. Or we've heard so many times that it just doesn't sink in. So, he says, there's lots of things that I ought to be talking about, but it's very, very difficult to do it because nobody wants to hear Now, look at verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. Now here comes a real problem. To be taught again. 
Touched ye the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. I remember, as you do, of listening to football games, and the team has tried some rather exotic plays that didn't work and they lose the game, and the coach is interviewed on television, and he says, well, this week we're going to go back to basics. Coach, have you ever said that? I no doubt you have. We have to go back to basics because we haven't matured to the place that we can handle what the coach wanted us to handle, to, put, to execute, to put into play the thing that that we thought we could do, it just didn't work. When I went through school, as did you, I went through grade school learning in English all about parts of speech. I don't remember when they started teaching me parts of speech, but it was quite early. And the next grade, I discovered they taught me parts of speech. The sixth grade, I was still learning parts of speech. The seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, the eleventh. When I was teaching school, and in the, I taught from sixth grade through grade ten, I taught parts of speech to every one of those grades. When I got to college, I thought, oh, I'm out of this. And the first thing they did was give us a test to see if we knew the parts of speech. And those who didn't know it took a class called Bowhead English. I didn't have to take bold head English, thank goodness, because I'd learned my parts of speech and all those basic things that, about English. But that didn't help any. We still had to learn in uh, freshman English, or go back and start all over again and do it all over, keep repeating and repeating, do the same thing in math. You learn how to add in the kindergarten. You learn how to add in the first grade, in the second grade, and all. You know, uh, we have to know the basics. And until we know the basics, we can't progress into something uh, deeper, higher up the ladder. You know, you don't start out in the first grade by learning calculus. You start out by learning how to add and subtract. You've got to have some basics to build on. And the same thing is true within the church and what we teach and preach as Christian people. We need some basic teaching, that's true. But there ought to be a time when we don't have to keep repeating it. And we can get on to something deeper. But we don't. We can't. Because we just don't want to progress to that point that we can talk about something deep. We're going to have to learn Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are places in his sight. And we can't get beyond that. Somehow. So what do we learn year after year after year? The basics which are important. But he is saying those people that must spend all their time on the basic teachings of the scripture are babies who are being fed milk. And you can't give them a steak to chew on because they don't have any teeth to, die, to, to chew it up and their digestive system won't take it. I see that every once in a while. 
One particular person that I shall not obviously mention by name becomes quite obvious to me when, when I have uh, jumped off into something deep every once in a while and this fellow sort of takes it back a little bit and says, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Why not? Aren't you ready to take it? You see? You know, some women keep their baby on the bottle. And I've seen three-year-old and four-year-old kids go around with a, a bottle stuck in their mouth and on that nipple so their teeth are protruding out. We've got lots of people who are members of the Christian faith whose teeth protrude out because they're still sucking on the bottle. I'm glad somebody finally said amen. I begin to wonder. The writer says they're babies and can't take meat. Verse 13. But everyone that uses milk is unskillful. If that's all you can handle, you're never going to amount to too much. If you've got to be fed on the bottle all your Christian life, you're not going to develop into a usable instrument in God's hands. Because somebody's going to have to coddle you, burp you, fill the bottle, put it in your mouth, hold it for you while you suck on it. You're getting the picture? There comes a point in time when we ought to progress beyond this basic status in life. Now let's talk about a baby a little bit. I want to, I want to say six things about babies. And I want you to compare the life of a baby to the life of a baby Christian. One of the things that you'll discover about a baby that he's always hungry. That's the first thing a baby wants to do when he's born is eat. And that's good. It's a good thing for a baby Christian to want to eat. He wants nourishment. He's eager to learn, and that's good. And I'm saying some good things about, about baby Christians here for a little bit. One of the things, however, that I discover is that oftentimes this baby wants to ask the question why, but won't wait for the answer. My grandchildren are in that stage right now, a couple of them. Why everything under the sun? You've gone through all of that. I have had baby Christians ask me, uh, almost in the same breath, where did Lot get his wife? And why is the city uh, that you talked about, of New Jerusalem, going to come down from heaven? What does all this mean? While I'm answering where Lot got his wife, they're not thinking about the, the answer to that. They're thinking up the next question, which is entirely on the other end of the Bible. Now here's where I'm saying we need the basics. Let's not worry about all of these uh, big questions that have taken theologians years and years and years to study, and, and they still cannot come up with, with solutions. I have spent my entire life studying the Bible, and I don't know the answers to these things. 
completely. I'm glad, however, that baby Christians want to ask because it talks about enthusiasm and eagerness, and this is good. Some of us who are older ought to have the same kind of eagerness. We ought to have it. So this is a good comparison as to a baby who's wanting to learn, wanting to be nourished, and a young Christian who is wanting to be nourished and, and taught, and we ought to do that. Secondly, one of the things about a baby is that they're tossed about an awful lot. You know, somebody bring a baby into this auditorium, and every one of you, new baby, every one of you women's going to, ooh, and ah, let me hold him. Oh, isn't he pretty? And the next one, let me hold him. Let, you know, everybody wants to hold and cuddle and coddle and ooh and ah over a baby. Second one. We men don't, you know, we're not foolish like that, are we? Ah, no. Everybody wants to feed him. What am I saying? A new Christian has a problem in that at work and every church wants to tell him, listen, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And this guy says, no, no, that's not the way it is, it's this way. And this over here says, no, 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 that's not it, it's this way. And so we get all of this started back and forth, and people become confused. Well, we got a whole bunch of them that time. I thought somebody would wake up here in a little bit. All right. Linford's the only one awake till right then. Now, those of us who are older and have been chewing on some meat ought to recognize this. And we ought not start passing our babies back and forth to everybody. We need to hold on to our young Christians and nurture them and teach them. And there's going to be confusion and they're going to be tossed about and they're going to be discouraged if everybody wants to get into the act. There needs to be somebody who, who is is working with the baby, feeding it. And so it is with the young Christian. Thirdly, one of the problems now that young Christians as, uh, uh, get into, and that is there is a tremendous tendency to follow a man instead of Christ. Somebody comes along who is a great individual. He looks wonderful. This usually happens that preachers get themselves in this situation. And I, if I ever do get, a, get to acting like that, I hope some of you cut me down. That is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen, that a man has to be built up. I don't think you ought to go anywhere to hear a man. I think you ought to be going to hear the gospel. And I don't care who's preaching it. If Billy Graham comes to town, I don't think that we ought to be suggesting that somebody go hear Billy Graham. I am suggesting that we ought to go hear the gospel preached. And it just so happens that the man doing it is Billy Graham. But sometimes men have a tendency to build themselves up and create a following. I told you I'm sure. One time that I was pastor of church, I know I've told you this, but let me do it again. Maybe you've forgotten it, and maybe you haven't heard it. 
I went visiting and I knocked on the door of one of the members of our church that hadn't been to church and I introduced myself as the pastor of the church to which she belonged. And she said, I didn't join you, I joined that other preacher. <laughs> I'm glad she joined that other preacher. I don't want you joining me. Do you hear me? What I want you to do and you ought to do is be a part of the body of Christ. All face the same problem. People in that day said, I belong to Paul. Others said, I belong to Apollos. Others said, I belong to Peter. There were a few people who said they belonged to Christ. And Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. I don't want anything to do with this kind of nonsense. We need to take the attitude, and preachers need to learn, the attitude to take is that of John the Baptist when he pointed to Christ and he said, I must decrease, he must increase. And we get that all turned around. And there are people who want to increase and become the great I. And everybody looked at them and think they have all the answers and they're mighty in every way. And whenever that happens, we're finding people who are being led by somebody who's no more than a baby himself. Babies taking care of babies won't work. It's got to be adults who've been eating meat for a while that knows how to feed a bottle to a baby. Fourthly, Oftentimes babies must be carried. And this is important. Babies do have to be carried. They can't walk on their own. We must treat them as fragile. And be careful that they don't get hurt in the process. And handle well. They've got a soft head. I learned that when... Uh, my wife taught me that when I first handled the baby. She said, you've got to be careful how you handle it because there's a little soft spot there in his head and you can't hit that on something. So I had to be educated about how a baby's made. Of course, I already knew that, but I didn't let her know that I knew that. <laughs> They're fragile little creatures that need tender, loving care. And the same thing is true of a young Christian. We've got to treat them that same way. To protect them against the elements. To protect them against people who would want to destroy them. To give them proper nourishment and care and handling in order that they can grow up to someday eat meat. You know what we do? As soon as that kid is born, we tell him to run. And he hasn't learned to walk yet. Fifthly, a baby sleeps a lot. Some of ours slept a lot. Some of them didn't sleep too much. Some of them had to colic and cried all night and slept all day. You know, you've been through all that. But what's the scripture got to say about sleeping? As Christian people, he tells us there is a time to become awake. As Christian people, we ought not be sleeping. As a matter of fact, the scripture says it's high time to wake out of sleep. And here is where so many of us remain babies over the years. We like to sleep. 
I remember a deacon that I had in the church that I pastored one time that went to sleep as soon as he sat down and he woke up when the benediction was said. I didn't know that for a while and I called on him to pray. Except he didn't get up out of his seat. He just sat there. And his wife finally punched him and whispered in his ear and he got up and muddled something. I learned never to call on the man again because he was going to be asleep. Well, many of us are asleep when we ought to be awake in the, in the, in the service of the Lord. I'm not talking about in the service. I've gone to sleep in the preaching service and some of you have done the same. And sometimes I think maybe we ought to sleep through it. It'll probably do us more good than some of the sermons I do. But the sleep I'm talking about is that individual who does not see any value in the church, any value in good attendance, any value in church support, any value in putting money in the offering plate, any value in going the extra mile, any value in visiting, and all the other things that we say are part of our ministry who don't seem to relate. They're asleep at the switch and the world is going by and they're not going to be able to have an influence upon them because they're still acting like a baby who must sleep a lot. Lastly, babies fuss a lot. Uh-oh, I should never have said that one, I suppose. You know, want to whine and quarrel and argue and do all those things. I'm telling you, there comes a point in the life of a Christian person that that's beyond us. When we don't do that anymore because we've become adults, that's baby action, not adult behavior. It's time we come to a point in our lives when we can put fusses and disagreements behind us and in one body, even though we might disagree, we can do it, dis we can do it agreeably and say, I'm sorry I don't agree with you, but I love you, in Jesus' name, we'll work together. That's what the church is supposed to do. And we'll do that when we quit nibbling on the body and start chewing something that's got some substance to it. One of the problems of a child who is reared on a bottle that never gets any solid food is he doesn't develop. And so it is. Well, oftentimes we don't develop. And in verse 14, and I'm going over, I know, but pardon me for doing so, but I want to finish. I'll never get back to this if I don't. You don't have any place to go anyway. The television's not worth anything tonight. I already looked. <laughs> verse 14. Everybody in a good mood tonight, I can tell that. That's good, too. Verse 14, he says, strong meat belongs to them that are full age. In other words, strong meat belongs to those who are an adult. You don't put a steak in the mouth of a baby. You put that in the mouth of somebody who, who is old enough to chew on it. Strong meat belongs to adults. There ought to be possibilities that we do something with, with meat and put it into the mouth of somebody who can handle it. We need adult Christian people in the church. And those of us then who are adults will be able to nurture and develop the babies till they become adults as well. Now let me say something here about strong meat. 
And spiritual development, that's what this is all talking about. There are five senses that we have. I'll close here in just a moment. There are five senses that we have. We have the sense of taste, the hearing, sight, smell, and touch. Those five senses we all have. The sense of taste. Let me read you some Bible verses uh, along this line. In taste, the scripture so, says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When it comes to hearing, the scripture says, Hear and your soul shall live. When it comes to sight, it says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. When it comes to smell, we find the words, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. When it comes to touch, and we mentioned this this morning, so I'll not elaborate upon it. That's dealing with feelings. Babies have tender hearts. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, when you sin against your brethren and, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. I want to read it over. I want it to sink in. When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, a conscience that's not strong enough to take meat, still must be fed on the bottle, still is being nurtured along. When you sin against the brethren and wound their conscience, Ye sin against Christ. Now listen, when we say things against each other, don't think that that's as far as it goes. We're talking about Jesus Christ because we're a part of His body. First Corinthians 8.12 The last phrase, he talks about exercising. Exercise to discern both good and evil. Most of us are physically out of shape. There aren't very many in this congregation that could work a full day manually with exception of a couple or three people that I might mention and survive the day. Most of us would give up long before the day's over because we can't take it. We couldn't run. There's probably nobody in here, may, uh, I might have some exceptions, that could run a mile and not stop. Calvin, can you run a mile and not stop? You probably can. I figured you're probably the only one here that can do it. Coach, can you do it? You make those boys do it. Now, how come you can't do it? <laughs> we can't do it because we're not physically there. We are... Uh, not exercising our body to achieve that goal. Listen, we need to exercise our spiritual lives as well that we might grow. If we don't exercise, if we don't put our spirit to work, we're going to become flabby as a Christian. A baby has to be told no. And we say to a baby, no, no, don't touch that. But a dog is expected to know not to touch that hot stove. And he says that we need to exercise our good senses in order that we can know the difference between what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. Well, remaining a baby was the title. And I suppose the question that we need to ask each other is ourselves, not each other, we ought to ask ourselves this evening is how have I grown? 
you're in the process of going from babyhood to adulthood, am I, as a Christian? We expect young Christians to be somewhere down in the baby status and growing and maturing casually and carefully along the way. We expect those who have been in the faith for years to be well up here. And it's tragic when adults act like babies and expect babies to be like adults. But that's where we are in our Christian faith. I tell you, that's tough stuff. And the only thing I can do is present it the way I believe the Lord showed it to me. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.